Pero gol. pensaste más claro. positivo que negativo. No, no, no pensé más nada que ese. Si sí, había errado tres días anteriores, no podía pensar dónde iba. <risa> Pero bien, porque te iba reforzando. <risa> cuando acomoda cuando la pelota. No y, sabía dónde iba a pegar. No, la, no, 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 sí, ya por, por, la técnica, la, por la técnica del arquero que siempre se tiraba a, al palo derecho de él y daba un paso antes que el ejecutante llegara. Tú ah, se lo preguntaba a Fusile, Fusile, ¿qué te decía? Sí, y Fusile tiene una, una voz así, ¿viste? Como la buena nota. <risa> Entonces, claro, iba un penal, dos penales, tres, yo queriendo corroborar de que era el medio que tenía que picar por... Entonces en el primero decía, Fuchi se está tirando antes. Sí, loco, está tirando antes. Está. Como, Fuchi, como Fuchi no pateaba, cuando va a tercer penal, que ya se dio cuenta, me dijo, loco, picar no rompa la bola. Claro, claro. claro era, lo que, era, era lo que quería corroborar. Quería, ¿Y vos querías escuchar eso? Y sí, yo quería escuchar, no, yo quería escuchar que el arquero se tiraba antes. Capaz que era mi alucinación de... Y bueno, y cuando voy, le digo, está, es suavecito al medio, le digo, pero le voy a acariciar suavecito, no, hace que se vaya para arriba, ah. por arriba del travesaño. Entonces cuando arranco... Y la acaricio y, y pues no, no ve el arquero, vos se lo vas viendo la pelota. El arquero puede estar así esperando. Que... <risa> no lo miraste, ¿no? No, cuando la toco y, leva, y, cuando la toco y levanta la cabecita así, ves que el moreno, no se, tira. El moreno se había tirado así, todo mío, papá. <risa> es mi noche. Y ahí salí festejando, se te caen los 45 kilos más de eso que, que tenía arriba, una emoción y todo. Claro. Aparte, justo coincide que en el festejo. Me abrazo con la banda y cuando salgo de la montonera, miro así para la tribuna y estaba mi hija y llorando, todo de emoción. Claro, ahí me quebré yo. Ah. Ahí, ahí arranqué llorando. Ahí cumplió y, papá. Bien. Ahí me abracé ah. con, lo, con lo de ganas. Más ya con todo el mundo ya. Una, Muy bueno. No me canso de escuchar. Ahí te no me canso de escuchar.
Oh, there he is. What's up? What's up, brother? How are you? Good, man. How are you? Good. Welcome back to the show, man. It's been a while since we've had you on. You know, we had to do a part two. Awesome, man. I'm excited for it. Give give the people what they want, man. So kind of so kind of break us down since the last time we saw you. What's going on? What's new? What's good? What's old? Well, I was hoping that we'd be a bit more uh, a bit more out of the situation that we're in right now, given the current circumstances. I mean, there's a vaccine coming on the way, but I've been reading lately some new uh, mutation of the virus has taken place yeah, that's over funny. Europe and all over the place, which isn't the best thing to hear. Hopefully the vaccines are effective against it, but I think we're in for another year. Yeah, it's, it's not looking too good right now. Um, it sucks to say, but, you know, some, there's, bigger, there's bigger issues in the world. Uh, I think we have to be mindful of that. Um, so I think we, <clears> uh, we kind of should just take it with the greatest – or not with the greatest salt, but we should kind of just be appreciative. You know what I mean? That, um, you know, we're not in – this is kind of like something that will be dealt with. Oh, for um, sure, man, for sure. And I'll tell you what, like even this, this, this Christmas – like perspectives have changed, you know, like the number one thing this year was just health and family. Yeah. Right. Just, just getting, getting to Christmas, having everybody healthy, um, having everybody around the table. It wasn't really sort of a traditional Christmas in a sense, but it's sort of realigned uh, our perspectives to see things in a different way, which maybe might benefit us in the long run. Who knows? Of course. Like not, not <clears throat> to take things for granted, you know, kind of enjoy every moment um live live in every moment that makes sense just kind of mm-hmm. so uh, what's up what's up with you how's your how's your family everything's good you know i can't complain you know everybody's healthy um my mom's doing all right my pops is all right the dog's doing all right little bro's getting old but you know it comes with life um so i think my family's just kind of readjusting to the fact that you know <clears throat> starting to get older and you know ship in ship in and ship out um for sure bro that, i mean your, your little your little brother what's he in now 11 he's, nah bro he's uh he's a he's a freshman right now he's a freshman in high school ah so wow uh, so uh my family uh kind of my family kind of just um kind of taking it with a grain of salt and kind of just uh you know just kind of trying to live through the moment um, you know, for sure, man. For sure, I haven't been home a lot. You know, obviously being up in up in Thorold, you know, for work and school. So mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't been home a lot more. Not a, like I haven't been home not as much as I want to be. So yeah, kind of the kind of these past couple of days that I've been home, I've been kind of like enjoying the moment. You know, you know what I uh, I was clearing out my old. I think twenty twenty has been one of those years where I've, a lot of people have been reminiscing. Uh-huh. There's been nothing nothing to do, so I was, I was clearing out a bunch of old photos on my laptop, and I found one. I think your mom took it of us refereeing a game, and I, I thought to myself, Jesus Christ, when are we ever going to referee a game again? That Listen, man, I it's it's heartbreaking because this this was supposed to be the year for us where we were supposed to do, you know, a lot of big things, you know, not only, you know, within, like, the club that we work at, but also expand, you know, where we were going mm-hmm. to possibly look at different tournaments in different provinces and you know just kind of expand our repertoire and expand you know our, our um our financial income uh, for sure
Yo. Sorry, I cut out there a little bit, but um, no, like I was saying, it's tough not working with a lot of the guys, um, you know, a lot of great memories that have been made on the field and a lot of great bonds and relationships. It's obviously tough, you know, you can only, you can only do phone calls and Zoom calls so much before you get away from the real thing. So I, I kind of think once this gets over with, like, although I never took it for granted, like, uh, I'll, and I'll enjoy the moment even more now, you know, just yeah. every, every little conversation, every little, everything, uh, it just kind of will, it'll resonate more. And that's kind of like the humbling part about 2020. It kind of just, it kind of brought a lot of things into perspective and how, how life is so short and you know, how, how we're only here for a certain period of time. So the impact that we have to have has to be positive. You couldn't have said it any better, man. And I'm telling you, just the, the smallest of things, going on a walk with a group of people, seeing people, uh, even small get-togethers that now we're limited to, obviously, because we can only see a very small amount of people. And it's just those little things that when we're able to do those things again, I'm telling you, I'm going to enjoy every second of it. And it's 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 tough because you know we we look at it now and you're graduating this year so a lot of your senior year at Queens has been taken away from you you know the last kind of bar the bar rips and the and the late nights with your roommates have been taken away and you know it, it sucks you know a lot of people have been working their whole life towards these kind of moments you know guys graduating medical school and uh, doctor school and law school and wanted to be able to celebrate this moment with their families but they can't you know because they got to do it through Zoom and. You know, receiving your diploma online on a computer is a lot different than receiving your diploma in front of your graduating class of, say, five to six hundred people. You know, whatever. Oh, the case for sure. Is. Oh, for sure. And th th this is a collective sacrifice. This is no matter who you are, what you are, what stage of your life you're in. Everybody's been impacted in a completely different way. And it's a collective sacrifice. And we have to all give up a little bit. But eventually we'll get through it together. I know it's as, as cheesy as it sounds. It, it is true at the end of the day. No, it's it's obviously like it's obviously something that it's an enlightening experience, you know. Um, yeah. There's a saying that goes, you know, a, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor, right? So mm. it it kind of makes you think that you know when you're having a bad day, like when when people say like they're having a bad day, like nobody in the near future that bad day will never compare to 2020 to what you experienced every day, not knowing if you know. Um, you're going to be able to go to work, you know, you're going to be able to put um, food on the table for your family, not knowing if you were going to be able to see your friends, you know, your grandparents, your uncles. So I think when we head down the future in, in, uh, in the long run, I think it'll make us more mentally and physically tough. You know, I think that when we approach challenges, you know, in the near future, I think people will be more able to, you know, kind of motivate themselves to get through it the way we got through 2020. And as the year kind of wraps up, you know, a lot of good has kind of come out of this, um, yeah. oddly enough to say. Um, you know, we've seen we've seen um, 
a lot of Italy's waters and the canals kind of clear up. You know, we've seen the ozone kind of clear up as people have been inside. You know, the earth's kind of reset a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of people have been donating money to, you know, small businesses and stuff like that, kind of keeping the economy somewhat stable. Uh, so I think I think a lot of things have kind of um, come out of this that are positive that we can look forward to. You know, I think things like that. Yeah, you know, we're kind of taking care of the environment a little bit more. We're taking care of our surroundings. We understand the importance of family and friends. Um, kind of hits a little bit different. So I think that's one of the things that we have to look at. Yeah, totally agree, man. And I would say that the key to this is to make sure that when it's all over, we don't go back to exactly the mistakes we were doing before the pandemic. I don't want to get too political or anything, obviously, but there are also a lot of structural lessons that we're, that we've learned throughout the uh, throughout the pandemic. Things that I think I'm not one who believes that we should completely tear down and reform the system, but there are definitely you know small things that we could change and things that we've learned, especially the thing that you've touched upon, small businesses, the importance of small businesses. That's a huge takeaway, I find. No, no, 100%. And, you know, kind of, although this is a sports podcast, you know, we kind of have to acknowledge the fact that frontline workers have been, you know, appraised more than ever. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's hats off to those people working 12-hour shifts, you know, fucking not complaining about one little thing having to wear people complain about wearing a mask you know these people gotta wear three plus a face shield you know they're not able to go home at five o'clock they gotta come in for late night calls at two in the morning you know because somebody's tired and somebody needs a coffee break you know and i think when you look at that you kind of take for granted you know the the, the health health care and everything that kind of has been provided to us so i think moving forward you know I think they deserve a huge, huge, you know, uh, shake of the hand. And, you know, I, I think every person in the in the healthcare industry deserves a bonus, at least at least six, seven thousand dollar bonus. And I think that's very feasible. That's very feasible. I don't want to hear that. That's not a feasible option because I've seen the kind of money that the government has to work with. And I think six, seven thousand dollars to each person who has worked these last um six to eight months, you know, f- helping to make sure that people are, are staying safe deserves that bonus. And I, whether people agree with me or, or disagree with me, I think six, $7,000 is a minimum, minimum. No, yeah, no, I, I agree. Definitely. They do deserve some sort of recognition, whether that is financial compensation. That's obviously very hard to tell, you know, as much as I would love for that to happen, it's, uh, it's being a realist. It's definitely a difficult thing to get done in today's sort of political climate. But like you said, these are our frontline workers are in essence, they are sort of the, the war heroes of our generation. Um, it's a, it's a collective war that we're fighting all together. I mean, that's why I find it so difficult to believe that we can't get the little things right. Meanwhile, you know, we had past generations, our ancestors, you know, two, two world wars, very close to each other that, that we fought as, as a nation in Canada in particular, that, that struggle and how we got through that. And that's, that's nothing compared to this in my opinion, but it's definitely, that's something we should look at as, as, uh, as a model, as hope. No, for sure. Kind of moving forward, you know, you know, I was sports, you know, me and you have a passion for it, you know, to the day I die, I will um, kind of see how sports has kind of impacted it. You know, kind of see how, how guys who guys who, you know, our athletes and we look up to like struggle with this, you know, like me and you, like after the first year I was done playing, I struggled with not being able to go out to practice and 
you know, feel the feel the roar of a game and, you know, f- you know, feel that kind of excitement. And you see the guys who get paid millions of dollars to do this feel that same type of way. And, and it's kind of eye-opening to understand that those guys are human just like us. So they feel the same type of emotions and, you know, they kind of go through the same ups and, down, ups and downs that you and I do. You know, I'm, sh- I'm sure you and I would love to get back on the field for one more match, you know? Yeah. Full 90 minutes, 11 v. 11, you know, sort of thing. And guys who get paid millions of dollars to do this are going through the same type of thing. So it kind of opens your eyes a little bit. Yeah, no, it just shows that the person is bigger than the sport itself. The person who plays the sport, the collective, and I mean the team. I mean that love behind uh, that's put behind playing the sport. It's what drives it. And we, it's no evidence. I was literally just watching a, a few minutes of the Manchester United game on TV. It's to see Old Trafford, an iconic stadium like that, arguably one of the most iconic stadiums in England, uh, probably behind Anfield. To see it so empty, it's just. I mean. It's just shocking, and it's just it's just. Hopefully, we get fans at a near. I know they they had some fans back in a couple of weeks ago, but hopefully, we get we get back to some normality by twenty twenty two. No, I it, it's looking like twenty twenty two is you know the estimated date for when everything will kind of get back to normal. Um, but kind of moving forward now, um, you know, this past weekend we had an absolute f- blender of a FIFA tournament hosted by you and uh, a couple of the boys. Thank you for having me. About no way. problem, uh, no you, problem. It was a great time. For anybody who for anybody who wants to know how I finished, uh, I think I lost all my games. I did lose all my games. Uh, not a good showing. Did not know that we were not allowed to switch teams, so I went with Sevilla, and then unfortunately was not able to switch over. But um, you know, you live and you learn, sort of thing. Um, Alessandro's brother Nick did get the trophy at the end of the day. Hats off well, to he, him. he played well, um, and it's, it, it just shows you the guy plays a lot. I'm telling you, he plays every day. And if he, FIFA's not one of those games where, like, if you you got to put the hours into it. I remember five, six years ago, you could just kind of pick up the remote and play. No, no, no. You got to put the money and the time into the game. And that's, that shows. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. And kind of sticking with the whole, like, the whole digital thing, you know. Uh, for a guy like you, kind of sticking with with FIFA and and the way the world has kind of evolved, how do you feel about um, these pro FIFA players, man? I gotta ask. Oh, like esports? Yeah, yeah. Um, I respect the craft. I respect the trade. I mean, if 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 um, I I don't think it's something that you should. I mean, if you have it, you have it. It's it's very difficult, right? I, I mean, uh, me personally, it'd be very hard. I mean, to to sort of if you have the talent, pursue it. I mean, you got to be realistic with yourself and your self-evaluation. I think it's fun to watch. I think it's definitely fun to do what we just did, to throw, you know, a little e-tournament together with your friends. I mean, that's basically sums up the most uh, fun we can have in 2020, especially when we're under lockdown like we are right now. But uh, uh-huh. no, it was a hell of a time. And we're actually looking to doing another one, maybe adding in more people, maybe doing duos. Who knows? No, I 100%. And and kind of what I'm and kind of what I want to stick with this is I don't know how guys are able to sit there, you know, and play like like five six hours straight. You know what I'm saying? And dude, kind of like dude, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean because I'm not because like I got like I'm, no. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, neither am I. I'm I'm saying I I played. Listen, twenty. I've never played as much video games as I have in 2020. 
literally i've always just had my ps4 there you know just kind of i use it mainly as a, as a netflix used to watch netflix movies and youtube and i never played as much as i as i have this year because of the lockdowns that we've suffered and i'm telling you i would like i would get tired i'd be like okay i'm fried like after two hours i'm like i don't want to look at a screen anymore and play like i just i'm out of here i don't know and meanwhile it, it, i guess it just depends on how you're built because my brother can look at the screen and play for i think 24 hours if he had the chance i i just think I just think you and I grew up in that same like kind of like era where you know video games was video games was like a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like I grew up like I would I was only allowed to play like my PlayStation Two for an hour and a half. Yeah, me too. I had time. You know what I mean? I ha- like I had a time thing because, and then because I got so used to that, like I would never sit on more of my PlayStation for that long because I just get bored. Like I can only look at I can only like play call of duty i can only play fifa i can only do all that stuff for so long before i just i just get tired i just get I, I'm a, I, man. like after this I, second- I know what you mean i know what you mean you can know like i, I feel my eyes water no I'm, I'm the same way i'm the same way i'm the same way man. and i'm telling you I, and it's, i'm a bit and of an old uh i'm an old soul i'm an old guy like I, I i do things that are way even before my generation like even when I was a kid, I was rocking like the NES and like the the Pac-Man and the arcade games, and I'm like, these games are just so simple and timeless. And meanwhile, I try to pick up a game now today, and it's so complicated with like a hundred different controllers to do. And that's just my other thing too that I noticed about FIFA. It's just how complicated FIFA's become since like I started playing it. I don't know about you, but for me, it's like now there's like a, on the Ultimate Team, it's basically a pay-to-play. Yeah. It's 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 horrible because it, it takes no skill, man. Like it's just how it's how fun. Like for you and I, who, who who don't put any money into the game or very little money, right? And you get guys who drop one hundred and twenty bucks a month on the game just to have a good team, and they do that for you know five six. Years I, I remember when I was uh, I remember when I was a kid. I never was really much of an ultimate team guy, like at all. But I remember I used to play a little bit when I was like a freshman in high school. I remember like getting an inform or like one of those special cards was like once in a blue moon. And now it's like you get like a different color card every pack. Yeah. And the game's kind of evolved because he has kind of seen how, how much guys are willing to drop. Oh, it's a billion games. dollar business. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is That's crazy, man. That's crazy. So it, it's kind of weird. So kind of sticking with this, um, you know, moving to real world sports, you know, Premier League's full underway. Um, you know, Liverpool's playing well. You know, obviously you talked about Manchester, uh, Manchester United kind of playing right now. Um, a lot of your guys are kind of making their mark in the Premier League right now, Cavani being one of them. Um, what do you see for him in the future in terms of the national team? Cavani will – I've always thought – I always knew that Cavani was going to outlast Suarez. And it's just – and there's no better evidence than what's happening at Manchester United. The guy t- took – I think a six to seven month hiatus. He went to Uruguay, went to a farm, and retreated over there. He came back and he's one of the fittest guys on the team. He's such, he's the embodiment of what a professional footballer should be in terms of attitude, in terms of playing for the team. Um, In terms of the national team, I think he makes it to the next World Cup. I think he has a good chance of even starting in the next World Cup. Suarez, on the other hand, it's 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 just it's different with him physically. He's not keeping himself in shape. 
Well, let me backtrack a little bit. I'm not sure if it's within or out of his control. I know he does have a big problem with his knee, his right knee in particular, the one that he injured prior to the Brazil World Cup in 2014. But uh, he's he's physically not looking what he used to do and what he used to be. And physically, uh, the physical demand of Suarez's game style is very demanding. So watching Cavani play, and even just today that I've watched him play, his movements, his tracking back, he, he looks as fresh as ever. So I do expect Cavani to, to outlast Suarez in the national team. He's got a few more years, Cavani. So sticking with the whole national team, right? We look at a guy, another Uruguayan on Manchester United, mm-hmm. Pelitri, right? Um, and the same issue is kind of I've always brought up with you know the Uruguayan national team, and it'll be to the day I die. Um, it's the fact that we don't use our young players enough, especially in fucking friendlies. You know, when you're playing a game that doesn't mean anything, and we're starting with our proper eleven that we would use in a competitive match instead of giving the younger guys a chance. Um, the thing that frustrates me is a lot of guys, you know, like Facundo Pelistri, I don't think will get the chance to play at that high level just because of the way the Uruguayan national team is kind of set up right now. Obviously, the the main issue right now is our coach who needs to be removed. Uh, I think it's long overdue that he uh, leaves. I the actually team have, kind of, you know, have some. Uh, <clears throat> I'll let I'll let you finish, but I actually remind me because I have some strong thoughts on that. So what kind of what I'm saying is I think I think Oscar Tavares' time is up. I think it's t- kind of time for him to go. You know, he's had a good run. Um, you know, he's got a Copa America. He's got a top four finish in the World Cup. Um, so I think I think it's time to find another guy. I think it's time to you know look in the likes of you know Diego Forlan, Alvaro Recova. Um, I would even say Pablo Wengochea or Juan Ramon Carrasco mm-hmm. for that matter. Um, in terms of who would who is the next Don to you know kind of guide the La Celeste, but um, I just think I just think we need to influx a lot of our new players. You know, we're looking at a guy like uh, Marcelo Saracci, Mauricio Lemos, um, Diego Rossi, um, Darwin Nunez. Um, I think a lot of those guys deserve a fair shake and deserve to get their shot uh, at the team, but. Uh, no, no. I want to hear what you, what your kind of thoughts are. How do you yeah, no. Situation? I'll start with the. You're completely correct in that in friendlies we don't play or we don't test as much as other teams do. However, it's there are no friendlies to test in anymore. It's just I believe we're not going to have international friendlies for a good two to three years, maybe even four, because we're so backed up in the international calendar. So. Really, it's difficult and it's very much a risk to test players out in qualification, especially in South American qualifying, which is the most difficult qualifying format in the world and most competitive in the world. Um, so for now, we're definitely not going to be testing out anybody anytime soon. Uruguay's always not really test out players. They've kind of just thrown them into the fire. I mean, evidence of this is uh, Jose Maria Jimenez. In the, two, in the 2014 World Cup qualifying, he made his debut against Colombia in a crucial game in which Uruguay had to win and he had to mark Radamel Falcao in his prime. And he did it and Uruguay won the game 2 nothing. That's how Tavares kind of, you know, does his things. He literally throws him into the fire. And Jose Maria Jimenez, he had his debut in the World Cup as a competitive, like real tournament debut in the World Cup the following year, replacing Lugano. And he's done this time and again. And you see it with Federico Valverde made his debut in the World Cup qualifying against Paraguay in 2017, in which he scored the deflected goal in another crucial game that we won uh, away from home. 
So we've never, we've never been one to do this, you know, sort of testing and friendlies. We've always just kind of throw them into the fire. I'll go ahead and play the Uruguayan way, I guess. But something that I want to say, though, about Tavares is that I think Tavares has to stay until the next World Cup and the end of the next World Cup, not because I believe that his time is up, but rather I believe that the time to replace him has ran out. To replace a coach in international football is a very sort of timely thing, right? You want to do it in in, 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 a, in a way where you're not disrupting the cycle because each international team goes through a cycle. You have that four years of qualifying, you know, reintegrating players, uh, having older players leave out. And to do it now in a process that sort of Tavares has started in sort of, you know, integrating Bentancur, Valverde, Araujo, um, would kind of Maxi Gomez, Diego Rossi would kind of really not be ideal for me. I think it's something he started. It's something he might as well finish off. The time to replace him would have been, I think, in 2016 when Uruguay had a very, very, very poor uh, the Copa. Amer- Remember the Copa America they had in the states? Yes, where we lost to Venezuela. Oh, you went to that? Game? Yes, I do. I did. I made the trip down. And it was it was a great time. Don't get me wrong. Great experience. But what- oh yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. And and the thing that rattles me is that Suarez didn't play, and you, I could, and it's because he was mm. coming off that knee injury in Barcelona, and it was right when he got bought by Barcelona for I think for whatever the amount of money was, and he wanted to go in, but uh, they wouldn't let him, and you could hear him yeah. punching the plexiglass yeah. on the sub bench. And um, he was obviously, obviously upset. Um, and it was a great experience to go watch Uruguay play. Like, it's the same heart attack that you see them watching. Yeah. On TV. Oh, no, I could only imagine, man. Fucking heart attack. Oh, my God, man. It's it's even worse. It's even worse in person. I, I believe it. Just I believe how much it. Exciting- how much I, I saw them. I saw them live. No, like, I saw them play Venice. My first game that I saw them live too was against Venezuela and the Centenario, but they won three nothing. Luckily, no, and I'm and I'm sure that that was at a time where we actually could play some decent football. But you know, at the time that I went, you know, we decided. To I'll tell you what, though, about that Venezuela chase. game, it's the only game, national team game of Uruguay that I have not fully seen in my 11, 10 years of watching Uruguay because I completely goofed off and it was the night of our uh, of our semi-formal and I had already sort of double-tied myself with like a date or whatever for the night. And so I didn't realize Uruguay was playing. So you saw me completely distracted at the set. At the, no, was it semi-formal or athletic banquet? I don't remember. So completely tied. I had the, the phone under my table just watching the game the whole night. And then I was like, oh, my God. And at the end of the, the night, I saw two teachers came up to me, Italian teachers, and they were very happy Uruguay got knocked out. And they they, took, they, they let me know. They let yeah, me know. It's, it's okay. We – it's okay. 20, 2014 will forever win off. Will forever <laughs> live in my heart. And so will, uh, so will, uh, what was it, 92, 92 USA? Where Baggio kicked Baggio. 90, 94 USA, USA or Roberto Baggio misses the penalty. Brazil wins the World Cup. USA. Hey, it, nothing against Italy. They have four World Cups 1934, 1938, 1982, and 2006. I mean, one of the, one of the greats. No. But uh, no, sticking with the thing, I think it's just time for a new, a new culture in Uruguay. Um, I think we should just. Not to say that we shouldn't give these guys a proper farewell, but we should start playing a lot of young guys more. I would rather. Well, there are there are some young guys. I mean, Valverde is young, Bentancur is young. Really, the, the 
Vecino, he's okay. He's like in his later 20s. The only aging parts of our team are the right back, which is Martin Casades, who I don't know. It's like it's like wine at this point. He keeps getting better. I mean, he scored against Juve the other day. <laughs> uh, yeah, who's pretty old. Suarez and Cavani, who are pretty old. Other than that, I mean, if we can sort of find the right balance, like like for me, the perfect balance that we had was in the 2018 World Cup in Russia. That was a beautiful balance of, of young and old. Godin is also getting up there in age. But there are there, there are signs in terms of uh, there are signs that you could see that there, are, there is sort of a generational overturn. Whether Tavares for him, my question is whether he makes that sort of turn at the right time or not. In 2014, he made it late. So I don't, I don't, I don't think Tavares will give up his spot because he's too because he's too much pride. So I think somebody kind of has to kind of. Oh, it would take something catastrophic because he's um, under contract until the end of the next World Cup. No, I, I obviously there's legalities behind it, but I think we sh- I think we should give Forlan a shot. Obviously, he didn't pan out in Peñarol, but Peñarol never. And now apparently he's going back. Ah, it's Peñarol, man. They hire you guys every other day. Um, they might hire you tomorrow, to be honest. Um, uh, but I, I think we we got to start looking in a different direction. Um, I think it's time that you know, as although Uruguay does have two World Cups, I kind of want to see one too. I want to see one in my generation, and um, I think this is the prime of Uruguay football as we speak. Um, it's tough, man. You know, it, it's tough. Like, You're right. Like I would love, like the my biggest achievement. I think I could die happy if Uruguay wins the World Cup. I could die the next day. That's how much it means. That's how much it means. I, I, could, I yeah. could die. No, but winning an international trophy is also just a very hard thing to do. I mean, you look at Spain. You think, wow, a country like Spain with the football that they created, one World Cup. Look at Argentina, haven't won an international trophy since the early '90s. Uruguay, I know we have won Copa America. That's going to be my biggest regret in these 10 years of Tavares, the last decade, is that I think we could have added another Copa America in there. At some point, we could have added another one during Suarez's big suspension for two years, maybe in 2015. We could have definitely added one more trophy. The results in the World Cup, they do show, man. I mean, if somebody told me prior to the decade that we were going to come fourth, we're going to get knocked out in the second round, we would have, I think, I do believe we would have beaten Colombia had Suarez not been suspended and not done what he did which was idiotic in 2014 in 2018 we lost the world champions and Cavani was injured yeah so we always we always get the you know we have the handball against God in 2010 mm-hmm. right I would love to play the game against Netherlands oh, again. Well, you know what I mean there's some I think we could we could we could have beaten the Netherlands if you look at that game if you look at that if you look at that game right you know Van, Van Bommel's Absolute rocket, you know, from 35 yards out. You know, Muslera's not expecting it. Uh, it's one of those games, man. And the refereeing did not go our way. It's, it's well documented. The refereeing in that game is very suspicious. Um, Uruguay were on half a team, basically. I mean, Fusile, who was our best left back, was out suspended due to accumulation of cards. Suarez was out because of the handball. Makes sense. Fine. Uh, Forlan was playing with an injury. Uh, our back, our, our captain was out. Uh, Lugano. Loreto was also injured. It was a very yeah. depleted Uruguay team, and we only lost 3-2, and we could have still won that game, which is scary to think. I mean, I recently I saw an interview with yeah, uh, so. with Xavi, or was it Iniesta? One of them said that they were pray- they were happy. They were relieved that they did not play Uruguay in the final. 
Well, because it was in the time where Uruguay had three attackers. Mm-hmm. Juan Cavani for Lund. And, you know, that's all you needed. For Land, player of the tournament, Suarez, best upcoming player, Cavani at the time was playing Bar- for Napoli. Barletta. And he was he was he, up- he, he did the Napoli move after Palermo, yeah, Palermo before his move to Napoli. Before his move to Napoli. And it's tough because you rewatch those games, right? You watch the game against France and you know you tie France, you but then you go beat up Mexico and South Africa, you know, you go and handle business with uh Korea. Um and you go, you go and be gone, and then you're literally. If you look at that play, and the officiating shows that there was an offside. If Suarez, if that play is blown dead, right, we go to penalties. I think with Suarez, we beat the Netherlands and give Spain a, and give Spain, you know, a, a run for their money. I'm not saying we beat Spain. But I'm saying that we. I don't know. There's a lot of passion in that Uruguay team, man. I mean, there's a lot of iconic people that, more importantly than the results and the trophy that they won, their legacy is going to live long and way into the future. El Russo Perez, Lugano, Scotti, who's not even a starter, but he still had an impact because he played in those important games. Muslera. I know you're laughing, but it's true. Uh, I mean, even you got some influential guys on the bench, too. Iguren. Come on. Oh my God! You should be—you're banned from the country. No, all, all joking aside, there were some some icons in that team, man. And I'm telling you, hey, look over there. Look over there. So it's definitely it's definitely one of those things. And if you put Uruguay, that type of Uruguay, you know, when all the cards are played right and you got a lot of characters in the team that gel well together, and you put them in the final for the World Cup, 90 minutes away from holding the trophy, I don't care who's up against you. It's hard to against them, you know? Uh, so, kind of moving forward now, with France, right? We look at France's national team. How well, How much pressure do you think... Well, inter- are you talking about the incoming Euros or long-term World Cup? Fuck the Euros, man. The Euros are worthless to me. Um, the World Cup... The World here's Cup. my thing. I th- and they're going to call... I was called crazy. I th- in 2018, I predicted Germany to be eliminated in the group stage. I, in my family, my cousins, we all did our brackets and stuff. I said Germany's going to lose in the first stage, and I said that because the last, uh, the last three tournaments, the last two tournaments, I should say, 2014, Spain, world champion, out in the group stage. 2010, Italy, world champion, out in the group stage. 2006, Brazil, out in the quarterfinals. Shockingly, it was a shock at the, at the time to France. So uh, you see, and 2000, 2002, I should say France, champion of 98, out in the group stage. So there's this thing called the champion's curse, I like to call it, in the World Cup. So France, they definitely have the talent to be the first team to not fall to that, but there's definitely a huge trap. No, and the thing the thing with France is that, you know, we, we, look, we look at what happened in 2006, right? You know, Zidane's infamous, infamous headbutt. And then we go into 2010 with the basically the same squad. Just add Nicholas Anelka, uh, Henri, you know, Patrice Evers also. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, who else? Anelka. At the time? Yeah, Anelka. Young Larice was there too. Um, and they crash out in a very controversial fashion. I don't know if you've seen it, but Nicholas Anelka, uh, the documentary on Netflix called Anelka Misunderstood. They kind of talk about, you know, what kind of happened in that during that time. They kind of tail, uh, talk about it towards the end of the movie. I'm not going to spoil it too much, but uh, Robert Pines, 
Uh, yep, I do. Who used to play for uh, um, he kind of talked about how he said that the way they treated Anelka was kind of the way he predicted it to because of who the coach was and who he was as a person. And Vieira at the time, um, was kind of going on the same lines that Priez was saying, but I want you to watch the, the film. It's called uh, Anelka Misunderstood. It's on Netflix. It's about did they, they pay you to say this? And <laughs> no, they did not pay me to say this, unfortunately. But it's a good, it's a good, it's very entertaining. It, it gives a different perspective on a kind of, you know, forgotten. No, for sure. In the world He's played on many of the great teams um, Chelsea, Liverpool, West Brom. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So he kind of just talks about that um, and how the curse, and not really a curse, but how he felt disrespected and, you know, kind of go back to your champions curse. I think. If France plays their card right, their cards right coming up in Qatar 2022, I think they have a good shot at uh, getting another one. I think their team is still young. You know, you look at Mbappé, Griezmann, uh, just to name a few. Lloris is still kind of – Lloris will still get a, a, a spot on the team. He'll still start. Um, so, I think France is a very See, that, good That's the thing. Another, you've, nailed, um, you've nailed it on the head there. They have a young team. What separates this from the other teams that fall into to what I call the champions curse is that they all had aging squads. I mean, Spain had an aging, you know, Xavi Iniesta, Xavi Alonso, Casillas. That's sort of the thing. When you win the World Cup, there's sort of this nostalgic feeling that you that you become overattached to all the people that sort of were successful in that World Cup, and you keep them along in the national team a little too long. It happened to Uruguay. I mean, how long were we playing the players from 2010? We're playing them five, six years later still in matches, which is crazy. And it's definitely this thing that it's yeah. hard for a country to overcome. But with France, you, like you said, they're young. So they're going to remain hungry. I mean, the France in 2010 was very old. There was a lot of pressure at the time in the, Fr- in the French Federation as well. This is something I, I, I read as well. Uh, Raymond Domenech, I believe that's how we say his name. The coach who was also coach in 2006. There's a lot of pressure, especially during the Euros in 2008, for him to be removed. But uh, there's also a sort of older conservative side within the Federation that decided to keep him along. And it just created a lot of turmoil. I'm sure the documentary goes into much more, much more detail there. But yeah, no, definitely, you you said it right. I think because France is young and their players are going to remain hungry, they definitely have a shot. No, and and it's and it's weird to say, but I think Uruguay had a fair chance at beating France. I just think if Suarez had a bit healthy, maybe we could have taken into you know. Uh, Uruguay time, you know, Cheruba time, as we call it, you know, kind of the 80, 80 No, yeah, for sure. Kind of I mean, one. Cavani was injured, uh, and Cavani was playing, was Uruguay's best player in the tournament. He came off two goals against Portugal, which are the Euro champions. And to play France without Cavani and suffer a mistake like Fernando Musleta did, God, I love him, but it was a terrible mistake, the Griezmann shot that went right through his hands. It's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, it's it's only more easier to swallow because France ended up winning the World Cup and you can claim, okay, Uruguay came fifth in the tournament, we lost the World Champions. It's okay, no shame. However, with Cavani there and Uruguay have chances on set pieces, it could have developed in a different way, but who knows? No, it's, and it's weird to say, but it's, it's tough. Um, I think a team that, you know has a lot to prove and another yeah. champion is Italy. Um, I just, I don't buy into whatever they have in their team right now. I couldn't tell you one player on the national team because they're using a bunch of no names. Um, and I think like, I think Italy's under the most scrutiny. I think the Italian Federation after not qualifying for the last World Cup, um, 
I believe they they missed yeah. out on 2018 after yeah. they lost to Sweden, correct? And um, you know, predominantly a lot of Italians were not too pleased, and they said, "Well, you know, Italia this, Italia that, Italia missed the World Cup. How about that?" Um, so Listen, I think they're under a lot of pressure I agree. Right now, and I think it. I think I think that they have a lot to prove because. Their roster is a bunch of nobodies. If you I, ask me. I definitely agree with your sentiment that they're under a lot of pressure. There's never been more pressure in, within Italy to make a World Cup, especially coming off hugely disappointing uh, like result in 2018 of not making the World Cup. The World Cup is not the same without Italy. I'll just call it as it is, and it, it's very simple. It's not the same without Italy. Italy... This is my prediction. Italy will make the next World Cup. Italy will put on a good show in the next uh, the next World Cup. Will they win? No, they won't. But I do believe they will get to an advanced stage in the tournament. And there is some, there are some players. They have Gianluigi Donnarumma, who is the seen by the Italian media as the as the successor to to Buffon, and he's he's an up and coming goalie on AC Milan, who's pretty good. They have some defenders. They have obviously the aging Bonucci and Chiellini. Okay, they're not going to make the next World Cup, but they can definitely leave. Leave something, and there's definitely Bastoni, uh, Luca Pellegrini, some that I can name right now. In the midfield, Sandro Tonali is, is a huge talent. Locatelli, who plays on Milan, Jorginho. There's definitely some some players that that Italy have that they could definitely put on a showing. But do I think they're one of the top ten countries in the world in international football? No, I don't. No, and it's and I don't know who paid you to say that, but the fact that you're able to name a couple decent players is. Be, is is interesting, but my point is that when you look at the Italian squads of old, right, they will never be a replica of that. There will never be players that could do what Pirlo did, you know? You know, when we look at Pirlo, fucking um, Luca Todi, I'm sorry to say that name, but the uh, De Rossi, uh, Totti, oh, you know, we look at those the Italian to, The fought. Italian team in 2006 is one of my favorite national teams of all time non-Uruguayan national teams of all time. And the amount of class, elegance, Del Piero, Catuso, Cannavaro, please. Like, it's just that team reeks class all over the place. And they, they set up in that 4-1, 4-1, the semifinal when they beat Germany 2-0. I've watched that replay a hundred times. It was a great game. But um, it's, yeah, maybe we're being nostalgic. Do you think that, like, do you ever have this feeling? I don't want to move away from international football too much, but do you ever have this feeling that like all the greats are sort of retiring and there's like this new generation of footballers that like we kind of don't really know? Well, because we're so stuck in the old, right? Like I still don't want to buy in the Ronaldinho retired. I'll sit and watch Ronaldinho mm-hmm. highlights for five hours. Same with same with Rude, same with Perez, same with fucking um what's his name? Raul Garcia. I'll go watch Figo highlights. Forlan highlights. You know what I mean? I can't get used to I can't get used to new guys like Kim Pempe and Denarbi and Sane. You know what I mean? I, I'm still stuck. I'm still oh, stuck exactly. with players I grew up with, you know, with the Brazilian the Brazilian Ronaldo, uh Adriano, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the supposed to be the next big thing. Uh, well, we've got to brace ourselves so, because there's going to be this sort of hangover period and sort of this depression period this upcoming decade where we got to, I think, collectively as, as, as a group, people who watch football have to prepare for a post-Ronaldo Messi world. A post they, – because they, they set the standards so high, like ridicul- ridiculously high. Like imagine setting standards that are so high that you become numb to certain statistics. That's how it is now. 
that there's nothing's gonna we have to put things into perspective that no one's ever gonna match those numbers for a very long time. And the thing is is that because we've kind of we kind of took mm-hmm. those players for granted for a little bit. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people did it, but now when people ask me like bless your Ronaldo, I don't I don't answer man. I'm like, listen, I get fascinated. I get fascinated watching Messi play. Like I borderline like borderline like just like in a state of awe of what he does with the football. Same with Ronaldo, man. Like 37 and he's he ages like why not milk, man? Like although I I'm a big criticizer of Portuguese football and that Portuguese football is overrated. Did we get that clip like, man, are we gonna send it to Brian? Guy... <laughs> Portuguese football is overrated. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. Listen, I, I think he, I think he knows. I think he knows. I don't think he needs a clip. Um, but uh, like I said, man, I I gotta give that guy his his fair dues, man. He's he's him and Messi have set the pedestal, like you said, to a point where like there will. Ne- I don't think there will be a player within the next ten. We're talking generations. Years, able to Let me, let's give your viewers something though. Let me ask you. You gotta pick one. Ronaldo. Okay. Or Messi. Why? Messi. I don't know. Why? Because I think I think Messi is I think Messi has done I think Messi has done more more in terms of what he was set out to do, right? People knew he was gonna be good, right? Like people knew he was gonna be good, but with his stature and his height, people kind of like took it for granted. And the fact that he's like a modern day it pays for to say this, like a modern day Maradona, in a sense where what he does with the ball is godlike. I just think you gotta give him, you know, I think he's I think he's one level above Ronaldo. And you know, people are gonna say, well, you know, Messi doesn't have an international trophy and yada yada this, yada yada yada. That's fine. And people will say, well, Ronaldo has these kind of numbers on these kind of team and whatever, and the debate's gonna go on, but I just think Messi's just an overall better player. And I just think him as a person, he's much better. Like, I don't even want to get into the personality thing because there's a lot of players that have played who have had shit personalities who are gods. Um, I just think him as a leader is far more effective than Ronaldo. And I've seen highlight, I've seen little videos of other players scoring on Ronaldo's team and he gets upset. You know what I mean? Obviously, a lot of those videos are kind of taken out of perspective, but I would much rather have Messi. That's, that's an interesting take. No, for sure. I, I got to ask you that. Messi See, I, I, this is the greatest. I think this is the great. These are like the biggest question you could add to spark debate anywhere in a bar or whatever. Messi or Ronaldo, the people will start flying everywhere. No, but I personally lean. It's difficult because I lean more towards Messi. My heart tells me towards Messi. But at the end of the day, I look at it like this. Ronaldo is the embodiment of the modern game, the marketing, the power, the training, the use of facilities. Because at the end of the day, when you just look at Messi and Ronaldo and compare them skill-wise to skill-wise, technique on the ball, Messi is better than Ronaldo. But what makes, what has made, and you can see that because Messi has never really put in that much effort into making himself great. Ronaldo has. Ronaldo started off at Sporting and Manchester United where he wasn't one of the best players in the world. But as soon as Messi entered the international stage in the 2000, I think 2005 under 20 World Cup in the Netherlands when he played for Argentina, you already knew. You sort of already had that feeling this guy's going to be one of the best players in the world. 
you didn't really feel that with Ronaldo, you know? I so you could definitely, for me personally, I believe that Messi is more naturally gifted than Cristiano Ronaldo. But Ronaldo, the amount of hours he puts into himself to perfecting his craft, when he gets upset with other, uh, with his teammates, he needs that to fuel himself. Some will call it crazy. You know what? Whatever makes you a better a better player at the end of the day. In terms of trophies, Ronaldo has had a better cl- club career than Lionel Messi. And it, it's so, you definitely can raise different pros and cons to each side of the argument. I mean, obviously Ronaldo has more, one more Champions League than Lionel Messi, but Lionel Messi has only stayed at one club. And people forget about that fact, how difficult it is to achieve all of what he's achieved at one club. Ronaldo has gone, Ronaldo has gone to Manchester United, to Real Madrid, to Juve. Yes, he's done great things at all three places. But for me, I'm a one-club kind of guy, and that's where my heart kind of leads, and that's why I lean towards Messi. In terms of the international trophy debate, this is something that really upsets me because people don't like to put things into perspective, I think, anyways. Yes, Ronaldo has won the Euros, and he's won the Nations League. For me, the Nations League is a glorified friendly international tournament. Sorry, that's just how I view it. Yes, he's won the Euro Cup. And yes, he had a good tournament, but he didn't play in the final. I'm going to be honest. He got subbed off after 10 minutes and didn't play in the final. Yeah, sure. He coached his team and supported them on the sideline. Sure. Meanwhile, Lionel Messi, he played, Ronaldo and Messi both played in 2006. Messi had a very poor 2010 World Cup in South Africa. But in 2014 in Brazil, he was the best player of the tournament. He guided Argentina to the World Cup final. Ronaldo's never guided Portugal to a World Cup final. That's huge in and of, of itself. Messi, and think about it like this. Messi is one Iguain chance or one uh, Palacio chance from winning the World Cup. We, we all saw the final. We saw the chances yeah. that they missed. The- I, I think, I think Messi, Messi, the only thing missing. Of course, and he was so close. And Cup. I mean, by like. Millimeter, he had a chance against Germany in that game because I rewatched it the other day where he was played onto his preferred side. It was perfect, all set up to him. The ball just bounced literally five centimeters past the right post. Had that gone a little bit more in, it's a chance he scores nine out of ten times. And it's a chance I think Messi will never forget till the day he dies. But Messi was that close to the World Cup. Ronaldo's never been that close to the World Cup. Yes, Ronaldo's won the Euro Cup, sure. But Messi's also guided Argentina to three, yeah, how many? Two international Copa America finals, 2015 and 2016. That's huge. And he, he was fighting tooth and nail in those just, finals. Fighting tooth and nail. There are things that aren't measured in, in penalty scored or statistics scored. And there's only so much one person can do until on his team until the other 10 players on the field deliver for that one person, for all that hard work. I mean, look at the chances that Wayne missed in both, in both finals. I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just calling it as it is. No, and 100%, I think you're right. And I just don't buy into the whole Euro thing. You know, I don't buy into Euros. I don't buy into the Euros. I don't buy into, you know, Copa America. I don't buy into, you know. For me, listen, it's ridiculous. If you want to measure the totality of a player's career and define it within one month of a year in an international tournament, it seems ridiculous to me. I I just think... I don't know. I, I will always say Messi over Ronaldo and Pele over mm-hmm. Maradona, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's always. I, I'm, a, I'm a Messi over Ronaldo guy, thing. but I'm a Maradona over Pele guy. I definitely have a soft spot for Maradona. Yeah, and 
Yeah, and, and Diego was will always be, you know, one of the one of the greatest of all time. He's one A, you know, Pelé uh-huh. can be one B. You know what I mean? Um, I just think that we're trying to measure them in in statistics where one is always better than the other, right? If we're measuring if we're measuring Ronaldo and Messi, we could say that Ronaldo's a better player because he's taller, mm-hmm. and vice versa, right? We could say that you know Messi's better than Ronaldo. One thing I do, I do. Sorry, go on, go on. We could say we could say that Ronaldo is better than Messi because he's won more important finals. So there's a lot of there's a lot of give and take with these debates, but the conclusion for me will always be how big has your legacy been? And I think Messi's is is and also I mean like you said give and take it depends how you want to define legacy are we going to define legacy what he's given to the game what he's done for his teammates what he's produced on the field trophies and I think Messi has hit all those check boxes he has definitely and something that Ronaldo definitely has over Messi any day of the week I think personally I know you prefer Messi as a leader I actually prefer Ronaldo as a leader I think Ronaldo does a better job of inspiring his teammates I think Ronaldo uh we've seen it especially in that Real Madrid team it was day and night difference the way the, when he played for Real Madrid when they won the three the four Champions Leagues in that little time frame that they did three back-to-back the hat-trick with Zinedine Zidane that is Ronaldo was unplayable at the time and and he uplifted his team and there's no better embodiment of that than the second leg against against Juve when he scores the bicycle kick which is one of the greatest games I've ever seen Ronaldo play but uh it's I think personally when it comes down to it Ronaldo sort of fights more in, in in games than Messi or they fight very differently so Messi fights in a way that seems like he's not fighting you know, if that makes any sense. He sort of tried to grab the ball, tries to pass, play a teammate yeah. in there, there. And they, they we're also, we have to remember that we're comparing very different play styles. Messi's sort of – this is why I think Messi yes. will actually outlast Ronaldo for years to come in terms of how long their career is going to be. I think Messi can keep playing at the highest level for a very long time because Messi can then drop into a midfield. We're only seeing Messi sort of adopt sort of like kind of like the Andres Iniesta role now, you know? And he could, he could definitely still do that. And he could do that far yes. longer than I think Ronaldo can keep up at the pace he's going at when, you know, striker, winger for years to come. No, and I'm with you 100%. And, you know, kind of keeping moving forward with the debate, I think, I think world football has even trouble sometimes. I think world football contradicts themselves in who they think is better. You know what I mean? I think, you know, Ronaldo just won the greatest player yep. of the century award. Right, and there's no, there's no. I mean, that's that's a pretty fair argument to make. I mean, so it's it's kind of I don't know. I I don't think people put much merit into that award, anyways. To be quite honest, I mean, the credibility of the award sort of diminished when you had Mohamed Salah come in third as the third best player of the century. And I'm a Liverpool fan, and Salah's not even cracking the top forty. Yeah, century. I'm sorry. And the fact that they left out guys like. You know, fucking the Brazilian Ronaldo, Zidane, Pirlo, you know, Henri. We look at guys like who actually played within this century, you know, 2000, um, 2000 to, to now, right? Those guys still kind of played. And they were kind of yes, they were at the end of their careers, but they still should be able to into consideration. I'm sorry, I'm just still laughing at right? the fact player of the century. So we're 20 years into the century. 
was the award player of the century so yes. far. And they're giving it. I mean, Ronaldo didn't jump onto this. I think later than that, I think it was more like 2004 or five ish. Well, regardless, he's still. If we're going by century, we're only at a. Yeah, and he and I would actually say that Ronaldo bloomed later than Messi. Messi kind of came out of the gates right away. He won the under twenty World Cup with Argentina, and then won two Olympic gold medals with Argentina, or one. I don't remember, but he won an Olympic gold medal with Argentina. So, but Messi definitely like just kind of came out straight away. Ronaldo sort of made that move to Manchester United, and then developed, and then. Completely blossomed in the 2000, from 2007 2010 into into the most iconic for Ronaldo. No, a hundred percent. And I think I think there's a lot of things that you know we have to still wait and see how the career kind of pan out. You know, for all we know, Messi takes the 2022 World Cup. 2026. You think Ronaldo will last that long? I think Ronaldo will play. Yeah, hypothetically, sure. I'm saying hypothetically, right? We're going off hypotheticals. Sure. We're going on hypotheticals right now, right? For all we know, Messi wins back-to-back World Cups. Unlikely, and Ronaldo does sure. the same thing. And Portugal have a very Portugal have a much better national team setup than Argentina. So the chances lean more towards Portugal at the moment. Argentina's biggest chance to win was 2014. That's escaped them. No, I hundred percent. Ezekiel Lavezzi, uh, Mascherano, uh, Romero, Iwain, uh, Messi, like you said, El Cura Widow, right? So we're still we're still tooth and nail sort of thing back to reminiscing. Um, but what I see is is I see that you know we're kind of re we're re going in the cycle of you know the world the championships that they've missed out on. We're not talking about the championships that they could win, right? So I think we still have to factor that in because these guys still can play. That's the thing with me is that, yes, we're looking at old championships and, yes, Messi could have won the 2014 World Cup, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a fair shake at winning 2022. Yeah, no, there's there's still a lot of a lot of football to be played until, you know, we kind of figure things out. And, and like, it was the same thing when, when people were debating uh, Pelé versus Maradona. You know, people were calling Pelé the greatest, but they didn't give Maradona time, you know, to kind of uh, work and see where he ended up. So I think I still I still think the debate's kind of premature. I think we're still we still have to wait until they fully retire, right? And then we can kind of see what they uh, what kind of is the lock for the future. So that that's just my opinion. Um, you know, kind of moving forward with the with world football. Um, you know, the 2022 World Cup. What's kind we of are far away to that right if now. If I'm going to give an early, early prediction, I mean, we're so far away. Europeans haven't even started their qualification process yet. My prediction for the 2022 World Cup, very hard to make right now, but I am going to say that a European team wins it. <laughs> I know, very, very specific. Okay. Um, I'm going to probably... I mean, very early on, I'll say France is up there till the end. Uh, Germany, I don't – Germany have not been doing well lately. England is a team that not a lot of people are talking about. 
but the issue with England is that is that England every time they get some sort of hype, they always the, fail. Listen, this is a golden generation. No, oh, I don't know about golden. I think 2002 is more of a golden generation. But this is a pretty good generation for English football. If they can surround that team with proper leaders, yes, Jordan Henderson's a proper leader, for example. But I don't know that he's up there in age. With proper leaders and a proper mentality, which is difficult to do because they lost to Croatia. Sorry, no offense. Then they have a shot. But England has always been a team that if you show more passion and you outwork them, you could shock them. I mean, example, Croatia in 2018, Iceland in the 2016 Euros. So who knows? I mean, what about you? What do you, what do you think? You got any countries that you, uh, you're putting money on? If I, would have, if I was a betting man today, and I'm going to pull up the odds right now. I'm going to pull them up. Yes, sir. I'm such a big yes, gambler. Sir. You know how much I love gambling money. Let me just find. Let me just find the odds on Betway real quick. Um, let me see. Let's pull up. Let's pull up football international uh, international 2022 World Cup. These are the odds right now. FIFA 22 FIFA World Cup winner. So for every dollar you put down, you would make the return. So Brazil's at seven dollars. France is at seven fifty. Germany's at eight fifty. England ten. Spain ten. Argentina 13, Belgium 13, Italy 17, Netherlands 17, Portugal 21, Croatia 34, Uruguay 41, Colombia 67, Chile 81, and then everybody else is at Brazil is a team that completely escaped me, but I think if if South America is to win a World Cup, it's Brazil and nobody else. uh, I don't know about that. I think. I don't think Brazil is that good. I don't think they are necessarily, opinion. but they have a really good setup and a very solid setup with a very solid coach. And they were just very, very, very unlucky in the, in the 2018 when they lost to, to Belgium. No, and I, and I, and I agree with you. Um, so going back to what you're saying, is it another I probably put my money on Europe. However, Brazil probably has the best chance in South America to stop that. I actually think Brazil, you know, I'll say right now, I think Brazil makes the final of the World Cup in 2022, playing against either a France or a Spain, Italy maybe. We we'll don't know. I know that I showed a lot of love to them earlier in the podcast. If they got, See, it's so difficult to tell with the World Cup because you never know how the World Cup draw is going to turn out. Like, I mean, in 2018, the draw for the World Cup turned out in such a way that was basically allowed any of the smaller teams, i.e. Croatia and Sweden and Colombia, to make a run to the World Cup final because all the heavyweights happened to be positioned on one side of the bracket. And they were also lucky that Spain got eliminated to Russia in penalties early on. So... I mean, if something like that happens again, we could see another situation where a team like Croatia makes the final. I mean, nothing against Croatia. Croatia are a great yeah. team. Rakitic is a great. I love Rakitic. I love Modric. I love Lovren. But I don't think they're the second best team in the world. I mean, sure they made the final of the World Cup, but they had a very easy draw. No, and it, and it, like I said, it goes back to the whole draw thing, right? Um, you kind of have to see how it plays out. Cause you could, you could get a group where, you know, Uruguay, um, 
Uruguay makes a run, and for all we know, um, they get a they get a weak group and they're able to go yeah, well, all the way. Listen, down. man, little things right. define a World Cup, and I mean like the smallest of things. I'll give an example. Maybe you remember it. 2010 in South Africa, Uruguay topped the group. Had they came second place in that group, they would have had to play Argentina in the in the next round. Had they beaten Argentina, they would have probably run into Germany, which you know I think we probably would have lost that game. However, things turned out differently. We beat Mexico one nothing, and we ended up, you know, playing Korea and having an easier, easier route to the semifinals. But during that game, Mexico they took a long shot from thirty five out, and they hit. They went bar down and out. Had they gone bar down and in, who knows? Like it, it's just little things like that changed the complete outlook of a World Cup for a team. No, and uh, I'm with you hundred um, percent. But it's it's just so weird to think that, you know, a lot of the teams that played in 2018 won't have the same players or have a very new roster. So the rosters could change a lot mm-hmm. from now till 2022, right? So we could be looking at a Uruguay squad right now that we don't think is, is good, but in, you know, a year and a half time, we could have a whole new front three and a whole new back four. And we could be looking yeah, at a Uruguay of old, right? So it's it's... It's it's still it's still like you said, um, it's still like you said, very difficult for us to kind of pinpoint what's going to happen within the next couple of years. So it, it's 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 interesting to see what happens. Couldn't agree more. How Couldn't agree more. What do you think of uh, very briefly on clubs? What do you think of Premier League? How do you think that's going to turn out? I mean, it's so tight. Uh, I think. I, I think I still think Liverpool. I it's it's kind of like although uh, people are gonna hammer me for being a homer or whatever the case may be, like no no problem, I'll take that on the chin. Uh what's it called? As the table kind of shapes up, right? We look at the table right now. You know, Liverpool, Man U, Leicester, Everton, Austin Villa, Chelsea, Tottenham City, Southampton, United, West Ham United, Leeds, Wolverhampton, Arsenal, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton, Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield. I I still like that top five might shift. You know, I could see Tottenham slipping in there, top five. You know, possibly a, a Europa League qualification. Um, so... Interesting to see. Interesting. I, I would I like Liverpool to say the same thing. And I think Liverpool would be um, running away with the league had they not had the problems that they had now. I mean, I mean, it just gets more complicated for them. I mean, recently they have Matip, who's now injured. They're down to one senior center back. I mean, at some points they're going to be playing without a center back. Uh, I mean, they've had so many injuries, Liverpool. So it's hard to see because eventually you can only play so much of your youngsters until it comes back to haunt you. And it actually did. Last game against West Brom, Curtis Jones made a mistake that led to a West Brom goal. So it's hard to tell. So if Liverpool can recoup some of those injuries, i.e. Thiago, get a good run in, I'd say they're definitely one of the favorites to win the league. Man City also have games in hand still to play. It's Man City. They're ruthless. If they can find some form, they'll also be out there. And Manchester United, people cannot sleep on Manchester United. They're a team that's not only good, they're a team that is rejuvenated through Edison Cavani, who's coming and teaching their strikers how to move without the ball finally. And they're a team that sort of has everything going their way for them, not to mention Bruno Fernandes is a terrific player, in my opinion, the best midfielder in the Premier League at the moment. No, I'm with you 100%. 
Um, and like I said, it's we're still oh for sure. And apparently they might they might halt things for a few weeks because of coronavirus. So we'll see how that develops. That could be a good. And like I said, that plays a big. That yes, plays a big, that could be a good thing for Liverpool. If players injured, that gives them more time to recover. Recover, and you have players who are gassed from playing too many minutes. That gives them time to recover and you know kind of reset. So little. No, like definitely that for sure. Big, I mean, big just last thing, I, if I were to put a prediction on it, I'd probably say Liverpool, Man City, in whatever order. Top, you know, what, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, in whatever order. Man United are a team that are not only sort of finding their identity a little bit. They're inspired by Bruno Fernandes, who's playing out of his mind, playing terrific football. Rashford, also a player that I respect very much, is playing very well. And they're getting little things going for them, little deflections, little lucky bounces. So that, along with, you know, a good setup can take you some way. And especially in such a, in such a year where Liverpool and City are suffering in terms of injuries and uh, stuff that beyond their control, maybe it's a chance for them to take advantage. No, 100%. Listen, man. Alex yes, I thoroughly enjoyed this talk today. Some football. Great, conver- great, conver- great conversation. Definitely. We'll get a part. I just wanted to give, wait, to wait, to just want to give a quick so. shout out, though. Um, non soccer, not football related. American football. Green Bay Packers are going all the way this year. This is my team. And I'm just going to say it right now. It might be a bit of a controversial move, but he's actually moved ahead of. Uh, he's moved into favorite for MVP. But Aaron Rodgers, I think, is uh, the MVP so far. <laughs> okay all right ladies and gentlemen alexander Vina coming in with the hot takes um i love it. i think rogers will win mvp I, I can't disagree with that um but ladies and gentlemen sandra it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show no, no worries man always uh, a pleasure to talk thank you for coming on again man uh ladies and gentlemen